0: Heidi, chapter twenty two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Kara Schallenberg, www.k.ray.org. Heidi, by Johanna Spyri, chapter twenty two. Something unexpected happens. Uncle went out early the next morning to see what kind of a day it was going to be. There was a reddish-gold light over the higher peaks. A light breeze springing up, and the branches of the fir-trees moved gently to and fro. The sun was on its way. The old man stood and watched the green slopes under the higher peaks gradually growing brighter with the coming day, and the dark shadows lifting from the valley until at first a rosy light filled its hollows, and then the morning gold flooded every height and depth. The sun had risen. Uncle wheeled the chair out of the shed ready for the coming journey, and then went in to call the children, and tell them what a lovely sunrise it was. Peter came up at this moment. The goats did not gather round him so trustfully as usual, but seemed to avoid him timidly, For Peter had reached a high pitch of anger and bitterness, and was laying about him with his stick, very unnecessarily, and where it fell the blow was no light one. For weeks now he had not had Heidi all to himself as formerly. When he came up in the morning the invalid child was always already in her chair, and Heidi fully occupied with her. And it was the same thing over again when he came down in the evening— she had not come out with the goats once this summer, and now to-day she was only coming in company with her friend and the chair, and would stick by the latter's side the whole time. It was the thought of this which was making him particularly cross this morning. There stood the chair on its high wheels. Peter seemed to see something proud and disdainful about it, and he glared at it, as at an enemy that had done him harm, "'and was likely to do him more still to-day.' "'He glanced round. "'There was no sound anywhere, no one to see him. "'He sprang forward like a wild creature, caught hold of it, "'and gave it a violent and angry push in the direction of the slope. "'The chair rolled swiftly forward, and in another minute had disappeared. "'Peter now sped up the mountain as if on wings,' "'not pausing till he was well in shelter "'of a large blackberry-bush, "'for he had no wish to be seen by Uncle, "'but he was anxious to see what had become of the chair, "'and his bush was well placed for that. "'Himself hidden, he could watch what happened below "'and see what Uncle did without being discovered himself. "'So he looked, and there he saw his enemy "'running faster and faster downhill. "'Then it turned head over heels several times, and finally, after one great bound, rolled over and over to its complete destruction. The pieces flew in every direction—feet, arms, and torn fragments of the padded seat and bolster. And Peter experienced a feeling of such unbounded delight at the sight, that he leapt in the air, laughing aloud and stamping for joy. Then he took a run round, jumping over bushes on the way, only to return to the same spot and fall into fresh fits of laughter. He was beside himself with satisfaction, for he could see only good results for himself in this disaster to his enemy. Now Heidi's friend would be obliged to go away, for she would have no means of going about, and when Heidi was alone again, she would come out with him as in the old days, and everything would go on in the proper way again. But Peter did not consider, or did not know, that when we do a wrong thing, trouble is sure to follow. Heidi now came running out of the hut and round to the shed. Grandfather was behind with Clara in his arms. The shed stood wide open, the two loose planks having been taken down, and it was quite light inside. Heidi looked into every corner, and ran from one end to the other— and then stood still, wondering what could have happened to the chair. Grandfather now came up. "'How is this? Have you wheeled the chair away, Heidi?' "'I have been looking everywhere for it, Grandfather. You said it was standing ready outside.' And she again searched each corner of the shed with her eyes. At that moment the wind, which had risen suddenly, blew open the shed door, and sent it banging back against the wall. "'It must have been the wind, Grandfather!' exclaimed Heidi. And her eyes grew anxious at this sudden discovery. "'Oh! if it has blown the chair all the way down to Dorfley, we shall not get it back in time, and shall not be able to go.' "'If it has rolled as far as that, it will never come back, for it is in a hundred pieces by now,' said the Grandfather, going round the corner and looking down. "'But it's a curious thing to have happened,' he added, as he thought over the matter, for the chair would have had to turn a corner before starting downhill, oh, I am sorry, lamented Clara. for we shall not be able to go to-day or perhaps any other day. I shall have to go home, I suppose, if I have no chair. Oh, I am so sorry, I am so sorry, but Heidi looked towards her grandfather with her usual expression of confidence. Grandfather, you will be able to do something, won't you, so that it need not be as Clara says, and so that she is not obliged to go home. Well, for the present we will go up the mountain as we had arranged, and then later on we will see what can be done,' he answered. Much to the children's delight. He went indoors, fetched out a pile of shawls, and laying them on the sunniest spot he could find, set Clara down upon them. Then he fetched the children's morning milk, and had out his two goats. "'Why is Peter not here yet?' thought Uncle to himself. For Peter's whistle had not been sounded that morning. The grandfather now took Clara up on one arm, and the shawls on the other. "'Now then we will start,' he said. "'The goats can come with us.' Heidi was pleased at this and walked on after her grandfather with an arm over either of the goats' necks, and the animals were so overjoyed to have her again that they nearly squeezed her flat between them, out of sheer affection. When they reached the spot where the goats usually pastured, they were surprised to find them already feeding there, climbing about the rocks, and Peter with them, lying his full length on the ground. "'I'll teach you another time to go by like that, you lazy rascal,' "'What do you mean by it?' Uncle called to him. "'Peter, recognizing the voice, jumped up like a shot. "'No one was up,' he answered. "'Have you seen anything of the chair?' asked the grandfather. "'Of what chair?' called Peter back in answer, in a morose tone of voice. "'Uncle said no more. He spread the shawls on the sunny slope, "'and setting Clara upon them, asked if she was comfortable.' "'As comfortable as in my chair,' she said, thanking him. "'And this seems the most beautiful spot. "'Oh, Heidi, it is lovely, it is lovely!' she cried, "'looking round her with delight. "'The grandfather prepared to leave them. "'They would now be safe and happy together,' he said, "'and when it was time for dinner, Heidi was to go and fetch the bag "'from the shady hollow where he had put it. "'Peter was to bring them as much milk as they wanted,' But Heidi was to see that it was Svenli's milk. He would come and fetch them towards evening. He must now be off to see after the chair and ascertain what had become of it. The sky was dark blue, and not a single cloud was to be seen from one horizon to the other. The great snowfield overhead sparkled as if set with thousands and thousands of gold and silver stars. The two grey mountain-peaks lifted their lofty heads against the sky, and looked solemnly down upon the valley as of old. The great bird was poised aloft in the clear blue air, and the mountain wind came over the heights and blew refreshingly around the children as they sat on the sunlit slope. It was all indescribably enjoyable to Clara and Heidi. Now and again a young goat came and lay down beside them. Schneehopli came oftenest putting her little head down near Heidi, and only moving because another goat came and drove her away. Clara had learned to know them all so well that she never mistook one for the other now, for each had an expression and ways of its own. And the goats had also grown familiar with Clara, and would rub their heads against her shoulder, which was always a sign of acquaintanceship and goodwill. Some hours went by, and Heidi began to think that she might just go over to the spot where all the flowers grew, to see if they were fully blown and looking as lovely as the year before. Clara could not go until Grandfather came back that evening, when the flowers probably would be already closed. The longing to go became stronger and stronger, till she felt she could not resist it. "'Would you think me unkind, Clara?' she said rather hesitatingly. "'If I left you for a few minutes, I should run there and back very quickly. I want so to see how the flowers are looking. But wait!' For an idea had come into Heidi's head. She ran and picked a bunch or two of green leaves, and then took hold of Schneehopli and led her up to Clara. "'There! Now you will not be alone,' said Heidi, giving the goat a little push to show her she was to lie down near Clara, which the animal quite understood.' Heidi threw the leaves into Clara's lap, and the latter told her friend to go at once to look at the flowers, as she was quite happy to be left with the goat. She liked this new experience. Heidi ran off, and Clara began to hold out the leaves one by one to Schneehopli, who snoozled up to her new friend in a confiding manner, and slowly ate the leaves from her hand. It was easy to see that Schneehopli enjoyed this peaceful and sheltered way of feeding, for when with the other goats she had much persecution to endure from the larger and stronger ones of the flock. And Clara found a strange new pleasure in sitting all alone like this on the mountain-side, her only companion a little goat, that looked to her for protection. She suddenly felt a great desire to be her own mistress, and to be able to help others, instead of herself being always dependent, as she was now. Many thoughts, unknown to her before, came crowding into her mind, and a longing to go on living in the sunshine, and to be doing something that would bring happiness to another, as now she was helping to make the goat happy. An unaccustomed feeling of joy took possession of her, as if everything she had ever known or felt became all at once more beautiful, and she seemed to see all things in a new light, and so strong was the sense of this new beauty and happiness, that she threw her arms round the little goat's neck, and exclaimed, "'Oh, Schneehopli, how delightful it is up here! If only I could stay on for ever with you beside me!' Heidi had meanwhile reached her field of flowers, and as she caught sight of it she uttered a cry of joy. The whole ground in front of her was a mass of shimmering gold, WHERE THE CISTUS FLOWERS SPREAD THEIR YELLOW BLOSSOMS. ABOVE THEM WAVED WHOLE BUSHES OF THE DEEP BLUE BELL-FLOWERS, WHILE THE FRAGRANCE THAT AROSE FROM THE WHOLE SUNLIT EXPANSE WAS AS IF THE RAREST BALSAM HAD BEEN FLUNG OVER IT. THE scent, HOWEVER, CAME FROM THE SMALL BROWN FLOWERS, THE LITTLE ROUND HEADS OF WHICH ROSE MODESTLY HERE AND THERE AMONG THE YELLOW BLOSSOMS. Heidi stood and gazed and drew in the delicious air. Suddenly she turned round and reached Clara's side out of breath with running and excitement. "'Oh, you must come!' she called out as soon as she came in sight. "'It is more beautiful than you can imagine, and perhaps this evening it may not be so lovely. "'I believe I could carry you. Don't you think I could?' Clara looked at her and shook her head. "'Why, Heidi!' what can you be thinking of? You are smaller than I am. Oh, if only I could walk! Heidi looked round as if in search of something, some new idea had evidently come into her head. Peter was sitting up above, looking down on the two children. He had been sitting and staring before him in the same way for hours, as if he could not make out what he saw. He had destroyed the chair, so that the friend might not be able to move anywhere— and that her visit might come to an end, and then a little while after she had appeared right up here under his very nose with Heidi beside her. He thought his eyes must deceive him, and yet there she was, and no mistake about it. Heidi now looked up to where he was sitting, and called out in a peremptory voice, "'Peter, come down here.' "'I don't wish to come,' he called in reply. "'But you are to, you must.' "'I cannot do it alone, and you must come here and help me. "'Make haste and come down,' she called again, in an urgent voice. "'I shall do nothing of the kind,' was the answer. "'Heidi ran some way up the slope towards him, "'and then pausing called again, her eyes ablaze with anger. "'If you don't come at once, Peter, "'I will do something to you that you won't like. "'I mean what I say.' Peter felt an inward throw at these words, and a great fear seized him. He had done something wicked which he wanted no one to know about, and so far he had thought himself safe. But now Heidi spoke exactly as if she knew everything, and whatever she did know she would tell her grandfather, and there was no one he feared so much as this latter person. Supposing he were to suspect what had happened about the chair— peter's anguish of mind grew more acute he stood up and went down to where heidi was awaiting him i am coming and you won't do what you said peter appeared now so submissive with fear that heidi felt quite sorry for him and answered assuringly no no of course not come along with me there is nothing to be afraid of in what i want you to do as soon as they got to clara heidi gave her orders Peter was to take hold of her under the arms on one side, and she on the other, and together they were to lift her up. This first movement was successfully carried through, but then came the difficulty. As Clara could not even stand, how were they to support her and get her along? Heidi was too small for her arm to serve Clara to lean upon. You must put one arm well around my neck so, and put the other through Peter's, and lean firmly upon it. "'Then we shall be able to carry you.' Peter, however, had never given his arm to any one in his life. Clara put hers in his, but he kept his own hanging down straight beside him like a stick. "'That's not the way, Peter,' said Heidi, in an authoritative voice. "'You must put your arm out in the shape of a ring, and Clara must put hers through it and lean her weight upon you, and whatever you do don't let your arm give way.' "'Like that, I am sure we shall be able to manage.' Peter did as he was told, but still they did not get on very well. Clara was not such a light weight, and the team did not match very well in size. It was up one side and down the other, so that the supports were rather wobbly. Clara tried to use her own feet a little, but each time drew them quickly back. "'Put your foot down firmly once,' suggested Heidi. I am sure it will hurt you less after that. "'Do you think so?' said Clara, hesitatingly. But she followed Heidi's advice and ventured one firm step on the ground, and then another. She called out a little as she did it. Then she lifted her foot again and went on. "'Oh, that was less painful already!' she exclaimed joyfully. "'Try again!' said Heidi, encouragingly and Clara went on putting one foot after another, until all at once she called out, "'I can do it, Heidi! Look, look! I can make proper steps!' And Heidi cried out with even greater delight, "'Can you really make steps? Can you really walk? Really walk by yourself? Oh, if only Grandfather were here!' And she continued gleefully to exclaim, "'You can walk now, Clara, you can walk!' Clara still held on firmly to her supports, but with every step she felt safer on her feet, as all three became aware, and Heidi was beside herself with joy. "'Now we shall be able to come up here together every day, and go just where we like, and you will be able all your life to walk about as I do, and not have to be pushed in a chair, and you will get quite strong and well. It is the greatest happiness we could have had.' And Clara heartily agreed, for she could think of no greater joy in the world than to be strong and able to go about like other people, and no longer have to lie from day to day in her invalid chair. They had not far to go to reach the field of flowers, and could already catch sight of the Cistus flowers glowing gold in the sun. As they came to the bushes of the blue bell-flowers, with sunny, inviting patches of warm ground between them, Clara said, "'Mightn't we sit down here for a while?' This was just what Heidi enjoyed, and so the children sat down in the midst of the flowers, Clara for the first time on the dry, warm mountain-grass, and she found it indescribably delightful. Around her were the blue flowers, softly waving to and fro, and beyond the gleaming patches of the cistus flowers and the red centauri, while the sweet scent of the brown blossoms and of the fragrant prunella enveloped her as she sat. "'Everything was so lovely, so lovely. "'And Heidi, who was beside her, "'thought she had never seen it so perfectly beautiful up here before, "'and she did not know herself why she felt so glad at heart "'that she longed to shout for joy. "'Then she suddenly remembered that Clara was cured. "'That was the crowning delight of all "'that made life so delightful in the midst of all this surrounding beauty. "'Clara sat silent.' "'overcome with the enchantment of all that her eye rested upon, "'and with the anticipation of all the happiness that was now before her. "'There seemed hardly room in her heart for all her joyful emotions, "'and these, and the ecstasy aroused by the sunlight and the scent of the flowers, held her dumb. "'Peter also lay among the flowers without moving or speaking, for he was fast asleep.' The breeze came blowing softly and caressingly from behind the sheltering rocks, and passed whisperingly through the bushes overhead. Heidi got up now and then to run about, for the flowers waving in the warm wind seemed to smell sweeter, and to grow more thickly whichever way she went, and she felt she must sit down at each fresh spot to enjoy the sight and scent. So the hours went by. It was long past noon when a small troop of goats advanced solemnly towards the plain of flowers. It was not a feeding-place of theirs, for they did not care to graze on flowers. They looked like an embassy arriving, with Distelfink as their leader. They had evidently come in search of their companions who had left them in the lurch, and who had, contrary to all custom, remained away so long, for the goats could tell the time without mistake." As soon as Distelfink caught sight of the three missing friends amid the flowers, she set up an extra-loud bleat, whereupon all the others joined in a chorus of bleats, and the whole company came trotting towards the children. Peter woke up, rubbing his eyes, for he had been dreaming that he saw the chair again with its beautiful red padding, standing whole and uninjured before the grandfather's door. "'and indeed just as he awoke he thought he was looking at the brass-headed nails "'that studded it all round, but it was only the bright yellow flowers beside him. "'He experienced again a dreadful fear of mind "'that he had lost in this dream of the uninjured chair. "'Even though Heidi had promised not to do anything, "'there still remained the lively dread that his deed might be found out in some other way. "'He allowed Heidi to do what she liked with him, for he was reduced to such a state of low spirits and meekness that he was ready to give his help to Clara without murmur or resistance. When all three had got back to their old quarters, Heidi ran and brought forward the bag, and proceeded to fulfil her promise, for her threat of the morning had been concerned with Peter's dinner. She had seen her grandfather putting in all sorts of good things, and had been pleased to think of Peter having a large share of them, and she had meant him to understand, when he refused at first to help her, that he would get nothing for his dinner. But Peter's conscience had put another interpretation upon her words. Heidi took the food out of the bag, and divided it into three portions, and each was of such a goodly size that she thought to herself, "'There will be plenty of ours left for him to have more still.' She gave the other two their dinners, and sat down with her own beside Clara, and they all three ate with a good appetite after their great exertions. It ended as Heidi had expected, and Peter got as much food again as his own share with what Clara and Heidi had over from theirs, after they had both eaten as much as they wanted. Peter ate up every bit of food to the last crumb, but there was something wanting to his usual enjoyment of a good dinner— for every mouthful he swallowed seemed to choke him, and he felt something gnawing inside him. They were so late at their dinner that they had not long to wait after they had finished, before Grandfather came up to fetch them. Heidi rushed forward to meet him as soon as he appeared, as she wanted to be the first to tell him the good news. She was so excited that she could hardly get her words out when she did get up to him, but he soon understood and a look of extreme pleasure came into his face. He hastened up to where Clara was sitting, and said with a cheerful smile, "'So we've made the effort, have we, and won the day?' Then he lifted her up, and putting his left arm behind her, and giving her his right to lean upon, made her walk a little way, which she did with less trembling and hesitation than before, now that she had such a strong arm round her. Heidi skipped along beside her in triumphant glee, and the grandfather looked too as if some happiness had befallen him. But now he took Clara up in his arms. "'We must not overdo it,' he said, and it is high time we went home. And he started off down the mountain path, for he was anxious to get her indoors that she might rest, after her unusual fatigue. When Peter got to Dorfley that evening he found a large group of people collected round a certain spot, pushing one another and looking over each other's shoulders in their eagerness to catch sight of something lying on the ground. Peter thought he should like to see too, and poked and elbowed till he made his way through. There it lay, the thing he had wanted to see. Scattered about the grass were the remains of Clara's chair, part of the back and the middle bit and enough of the red padding and the bright nails to show how magnificent the chair had been when it was entire. "'I was here when the men passed carrying it up,' said the baker, who was standing near Peter. "'I'll bet any one that it was worth twenty-five pounds at least. I cannot think how such an accident could have happened.' "'Uncle said the wind might perhaps have done it,' remarked one of the women, who could not sufficiently admire the red upholstery. "'It's a good job that no one but the wind did it,' said the baker again. "'Or he might smart for it. No doubt the gentleman in Frankfurt, when he hears what has happened, will make all inquiries about it. I am glad for myself that I have not been seen up the mountain for a good two years, as suspicion is likely to fall on any one who was about up there at the time.' Many more opinions were passed on the matter, but Peter had heard enough. He crept quietly away out of the crowd— and then took to his heels and ran up home as fast as he could, as if he thought some one was after him. The baker's words had filled him with fear and trembling. He was sure now that any day a constable might come over from Frankfurt and inquire about the destruction of the chair, and then everything would come out, and he would be seized and carried off to Frankfurt, and there put in prison. The whole picture of what was coming was clear before him, and his hair stood on end with terror. He reached home in this disturbed state of mind. He would not open his mouth in reply to anything that was said to him. He would not eat his potatoes. All he did was to creep off to bed as quickly as possible and hide under the bedclothes and groan. Peter has been eating sorrel again and is evidently in pain by the way he is groaning, said Brigitta. "'You must give him a little more bread to take with him. "'Give him a bit of mine to-morrow,' said the grandmother, sympathizingly. "'As the children lay that night in bed looking out at the stars, Heidi said, "'I have been thinking all day what a happy thing it is that God does not give us what we ask for, "'even when we pray and pray and pray, if he knows there is something better for us. "'Have you felt like that?' "'Why do you ask me that to-night all of a sudden?' asked Clara. "'Because I prayed so hard when I was in Frankfurt that I might go home at once, and because I was not allowed to I thought God had forgotten me. And now, you see, if I had come away at first when I wanted to, you would never have come here, and would never have got well.' Clara had in her turn become thoughtful. "'But, Heidi,' she began again, "'in that case we ought never to pray for anything.' as God always intends something better for us than we know or wish for. "'You must not think it is like that, Clara,' replied Heidi eagerly. "'We must go on praying for everything, for everything, so that God may know we do not forget that it all comes from Him.' "'If we forget God, then He lets us go our own way, and we get into trouble. Grandmama told me so.' AND IF HE DOES NOT GIVE US WHAT WE ASK FOR, WE MUST NOT THINK THAT HE HAS NOT HEARD US, AND LEAVE OFF PRAYING, BUT WE MUST STILL PRAY AND SAY, I AM SURE, DEAR GOD, THAT THOU ART KEEPING SOMETHING BETTER FOR ME, AND I WILL NOT BE UNHAPPY, FOR I KNOW THAT THOU WILT MAKE EVERYTHING RIGHT IN THE END. HOW DID YOU LEARN ALL THAT? ASKED CLARA. GRANDMAMA EXPLAINED IT TO ME FIRST OF ALL, AND THEN, WHEN IT ALL HAPPENED, JUST AS SHE SAID, I KNEW IT MYSELF. "'And I think, Clara,' she went on, as she sat up in bed, "'we ought certainly to thank God to-night that you can walk now, "'and that he has made us so happy.' "'Yes, Heidi, I am sure you are right, and I am glad you reminded me. "'I almost forgot my prayers for very joy.' "'Both children said their prayers, and each thanked God in her own way "'for the blessing he had bestowed on Clara, "'who had for so long lain weak and ill.' The next morning the Grandfather suggested that they should now write to the Grandmama, and ask her if she would not come and pay them a visit, as they had something new to show her. But the children had another plan in their heads, for they wanted to prepare a great surprise for grandmamma. Clara was first to have more practice in walking, so that she might be able to go a little way by herself. Above all things grandmamma was not to have a hint of it. They asked the grandfather how long he thought this would take, and when he told them about a week or less, they immediately sat down and wrote a pressing invitation to Grandmama, asking her to come soon, but no word was said about there being anything new to see. The following days were some of the most joyous that Clara had spent on the mountain. She awoke each morning with a happy voice within her, crying, "'I am well now! I am well now!' "'I shan't have to go about in a chair. "'I can walk by myself like other people.' "'Then came the walking, "'and every day she found it easier "'and was able to go a longer distance. "'The movement gave her such an appetite "'that the grandfather cut his bread and butter "'a little thicker each day, "'and was well pleased to see it disappear. "'He now brought out with it "'a large jugful of the foaming milk "'and filled her little bowl over and over again.' And so another week went by and the day came which was to bring grandmamma up the mountain for her second visit end of chapter twenty two read by cara Schallenberg on may third two thousand six in Oceanside, California